Yo, 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 yo. Welcome back to the Millennial Manchild Podcast. Air horn. What's up, folks? How are we doing today? I hope that you are, you know, having a good day. And uh, as always, welcome back to the Millennial Manchild Podcast. Uh, and as always, I'm your host, Miles Casey. Today we've got a little, we've got a, an interesting episode for you, I think. Hopefully you will enjoy it. It's um the man-child origin story. I'm talking about me today, yeah. I know I've pretty much only talked about me on here, but this is actually talking about the past, you know, talking about my life, my experiences growing up in Kansas, all that fun jazz. Some of it not so fun, as you'll find out. But uh, yeah, hopefully you, you enjoy it. Hopefully you find that interesting. But uh, before we get into that, we'll do the classic intro here. Um, life's been good. Having fun. Went to kill Tony, as I mentioned last time. Unfortunately, I did not get on stage. Um, definitely would have been a bucket list item for me had I got on stage at the comedy store. That's, uh, that's the mecca. That's where all the greats have uh, performed comedy. So even getting up on stage and just shitting a brick would have been an awesome moment for me, but it'll happen eventually. It'll happen eventually. I had a lot of fun going up to LA with a couple of guys, went up there with Billy and Noah. There's some good dudes. Um, we had a lot of fun for sure. It was cool to see the Kill Tony show live. It was also cool to see the open mic they had there and to see how busy the open mic and just basically it was a very eye-opening experience to me. Um, there was probably 30 spots, right? Like 10 to, yeah, like 10 to 15 three-minute spots at the open mic and then 10 to 15 spots on Kill Tony to get on stage. That's, you know, maybe 40 chances total to get on stage. And there were well over 100 comics that signed up for this open mic. So that was very, very humbling um, to see that in LA, it is a complete different monster than it is here in San Diego. And that, um, it's going to be way tougher. If I move to LA, it's going to be a struggle. You're going to, I will have to stand out. I'll have to work harder and grind more than I'm doing now. So I'm trying to just start doing that grind now. Basically it was very inspiring to go there and just see like, holy shit, all these people are trying to become a comedian. So, yeah, I've got a lot of work to do. I've got a lot of work to do. That's what that's what that trip kind of uh that's what I got out of the trip since I didn't get on stage. I got to practice my material in my head and pretend like I was going to get on stage, which is good exercise. But I also got to see uh what it's actually like <laughs> to go to these open mics in LA, especially at the comedy store. Obviously, as I said, that's the mecca, so it's going to be busier than every other place probably. But it was good. Really enjoyed that. Had a fun time. It was a great trip. Uh, you know, as is usual here, I guess I have to talk about him. Can't escape it. Trump's out there fucking talking about shithole countries, you know, which again, the comedian in me thinks it's hilarious. It's like, it's kind of funny. Like I know America is not perfect. It's has areas that are definitely shithole esque, but, uh, it's it just just to grossly overgeneralize and lump a whole entire country into the, the shithole category. It's kind of funny. Like 
It's fucked up. I know it's not cool. President should never say something like that. But let's not kid ourselves. It's like, damn, that like it's it's like when you see somebody fall and hurt themselves, or you know, somebody making fun of somebody you probably shouldn't be making fun of. Sometimes you know it doesn't feel good afterwards, but it is kind of funny. And so that's kind of where I stand on that one right now. It's just. It is a shame, you know, after watching that Obama interview with Letterman, it's like, fuck, that guy is so articulate, so well-spoken, so thoughtful. Yeah, um, <laughs> he, you know, he's also kind of funny, but actually, like, not in a brutal, like, burn-down-your-house kind of way like Trump is, but, um, yeah, it's just crazy that the contrast has been that, that much. It's, a, it's very um, eye-opening. Also, apparently the government shut down. Trump's just killing the game, man. This guy can't stop winning. He can't stop winning. Fucking, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, like, he was complaining about, you know, it's all the Democrats' fault. They're holding out. They want the dreamers to be able to stay here. People that have lived here for fucking 30 years, pretty much their whole life. And now you're trying to deport these people to a country that they don't even recognize? Man, that's just, it's a certain kind of fucked up to me, so... I say play hardball. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. Politics is a fucking nightmare. I can't hardly keep up with it. As you guys know, it's much, much less for me on the mind these days, but I'd like to mention it a little bit. So that's that, you know, I'll, I'll leave it there. It's a fucking, it's a shit show. It's a circus. It's, um, it's the new, newest form of reality TV, I think. Yeah. Because... Trump's a reality TV star. He gets how to rile people up and he knows what buttons to press and how to press them. And people who think he's stupid or doesn't know what the fuck he's doing, like maybe he kind of doesn't, but also <laughs> clearly he won the presidency. He's getting shit done to a certain extent, whether you agree with it or not. You know, he, obviously the shutdown looks bad, but, you know, qu quit underestimating this fucking idiot. Please, people. He, he, he does not need to be underestimated anymore. Or if we keep underestimating him, He'll be president again in 2020. I'll just leave it at that. <clears throat> so that's that's that. Um, you know, besides that, I got the website. I've been working on my website a little bit. It's under construction. I bought the, that millennial man-child domain. Um, we'll hopefully be getting that up later this week. Looking forward to sharing that with you all. Have a place to, you know, maybe put a couple blog posts up, some pictures, uh, maybe a few videos, you know. It'll be fun. It's just going to be a little little hub, little man-child hub, if you will. So looking forward to that. Uh, yeah. And that's pretty much it, you know. Just quick shout-out. UFC fights were great this past weekend. NFL playoffs, you know, obviously the Eagles-Vikings game was terrible. But and the Jags-Patriots game, fucking amazing game. Playoffs have been great this, uh, this season. So excited about that. Yeah. So let's get into it. Um, yeah, today, like I said, it's about the man-child origin story. There was, you know, it's a little dark at times, but don't take it too serious. It's, uh, you know, I'm doing all right, people, all right? So, yeah, hopefully you enjoy learning a little about me, and have a good one. Seven years old, my mama told me, Go make yourself some friends or you'll be lonely. Once I was seven years old, 
It was a big, big world, but we thought we were bigger. Pushing each other to the limits, we were learning quicker. By 11, smoking herb and drinking burning liquor. Never rich, so we were out to make that steady bigger. Once I was 11 years old, my daddy told me, go get yourself a wife or you'll be lonely. Once I was 11 years old. So I started writing songs, I started writing stories Something about that glory just always seemed to bore me Cause only those I really love will ever really know me Once I was 20 years old, my story got told Before the morning sun when life was lonely Once I was 20 years old What's up, party people? So, as promised... Today is the Millennial Man-Child origin story. Ooh, that sounds that sounds nice, right? Yeah, I, I figured I'll talk about myself. The, uh, the Miles Casey beginnings. Um, I reached out to you folks to see if there was any topics of interest, and I got a pretty good response. But for, quite, for a few of them, definitely was not ready to talk about them. Uh, need a little more time, probably. So I figured... I would go with talking about me. I know me pretty well, right? Or do I? Mm, we'll find out. But, um, yeah, being being a comedian, being a complete egotistical narcissist, I figured, yeah, people want to hear about me. Of course they do. So that's what we'll talk about today. Uh, yeah, we'll talk about growing up in Kansas, talk about some of the challenges I overcame as a, you know, as a young child. Talk about some of my mentors along the way, some of the people that really helped build me up into the, you know, the man I am today, if you will. The man-child that I am today. Excuse me. <clears throat> Excuse me. But, but yeah. So, so let's get into it. Um, I guess we'll start with the beginning. I was born, beautiful baby boy, beautiful child, uh, June 30th, 1990. In Great Bend, Kansas, which is a small town of about 1,500 people, 15,000, sorry, 15,000 people, and it's smack dab in the middle of nowhere. Like, you know, the closest city is Wichita, it's about two, two and a half hours away, and then after that it's Kansas City, which is four hours away, and Denver, which is eight hours away. So, yeah. Not a lot happening in Great Bend, Kansas. It's a very simple place, you know, kind of a slow pace. Everybody knows everybody. You get it, you know, that small town life. So it's a great place to grow up, though. It's a great place to raise a kid, that's for sure. Um, I was very fortunate to grow up there in some ways because, like, sure, it's not the most diverse place, but it's a good place to grow up. People are kind. They are good-natured, well-intentioned, um, and you don't have to worry about a lot. There's not a lot of danger there, right? Like, I had a lot of freedom as a kid to do what I wanted, whether it's ride my bike to... I mean, I remember riding my bike trying to get lost and then finding my way home. That was my fun little game I played because I was an idiot as a kid. But I would do stuff like that. You know, we could... It was pretty much be home when the street lights come on 
That's that was the rules growing up for me. Which I don't know if that's the same anymore. I don't think so because I don't see kids out here playing in the yard. Although not big yards out here in Southern California. That is for sure. So maybe that's part of it as well. But so I was fortunate to grow up there. A lot of freedoms, a lot of like, you know, kind of being able to do things on my own, figure things out on my by my own. Um, I think that's important as a kid. So I was fortunate for that. And I have to say, growing up with, you know, in, in the Midwest has a lot of benefits. I'm very polite. People are always like, oh, you're so polite. You know, almost too polite, whatever. Like, too polite? What the fuck does that mean? People, oh, you're too nice to me. Okay, go fuck yourself. No, sorry. But, um, <laughs> yeah, and I have a great work ethic, which I think comes from being in the Midwest. It, it's not something that you always see out here, maybe, sometimes. And just the generally, like, trying to be nice to people. I feel like that's that's one thing that comes from the Midwest. And so, yeah, I was happy to grow up in Kansas. It was great for the most part. Um, but as is the case with pretty much everyone, um, things start to hit the fan a little bit, right? Life gets crazy. Life happens, if you will. <clears throat> and so for the first eight or nine years growing up in Kansas, beautiful childhood, just great. Had, you know, playing flag football or playing touch football in the street, playing hide-and-go-seek, whatever. But I think as most millennials at this point will be able to relate to, um, my parents got a divorce. And this is kind of the snowball that started the avalanche of shitstorm that, you know, eventually starts to happen in my life. But, yeah, it was a crazy time. It was a rough time. I, you know, didn't live in my childhood home anymore. Didn't live with both my parents anymore feeling just very confused, not really understanding what was going on, obviously, because I was eight or nine. And, uh, yeah, so so that was rough. But I was very fortunate during this time in, in one way, because even though things were going crazy at home, um, a lot of uh, uncertainty and, you know, not knowing what to expect exactly, um, I had a great teacher at this time in my life. It was my third grade teacher, Mrs. Gale. And I'll never forget her because she was not only just so compassionate and kind to me, but she like went out of her way to help me because I was, uh, as a child anyways, somebody who needed extra help in school. I could not read very well. I was like, you know, a level or two, a grade or two behind my class. I was like reading little thin books with like two sentences on them and it was, you know, wasn't great basically is what I'm saying. I, I had to work hard to to get that reading ability better. And she helped me. She helped give me some of those tools, helped me have confidence in myself and in my ability in a classroom. So I, I have to say I, I have a lot of uh, appreciation for her. She kind of shaped the way I would look at school going forward because um, I did do pretty good in school for the most part, and I have to credit her with a lot of that because – she gave me some of those tools early on to carry on later into my school, like my academic career. And it started with like just somebody kind of believing in me for sure. So that was uh, a big moment. Even though things were going crazy, I will always uh, be very appreciative and have a lot of gratitude towards Mrs. Gale. So shout out to Mrs. Gale. But, you know, as, as the story goes on, it gets a little crazier. Um, couple rocky moments in there 
in between these next couple years. But the big, it all kind of comes to a a head, or if you will, you know, kind of explodes in sixth grade for me. Um, I I'll never forget this day. It's easy to to remember it too because everybody knows this day. Um, it's Valentine's Day. This is when shit really hit the fan for me. It was. Uh, February 14th, 2002, I believe. I was in sixth grade. And, you know, Valentine's Day in sixth grade is supposed to be a fun time. You're supposed to get a little extra candy. You might not really have any schoolwork that day. Who knows, you might get a secret admirer, a little crush or something. It's supposed to be fun. Which, unfortunately, was not the case for me. Um, Let's see. So, you know, night before... I had done, you know, wrote up all my Valentine cards. Everything's looking good. Uh, had my, I had a sixth grade me actually had more game than 27 year old me. I had a girlfriend at the time. Had my like teddy bear prepared for her and some box of chocolates. Like I was, I was crushing it. I was ready to go there to school tomorrow and be like, what's up, bitches? I got this. La 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 la. You know, I'm, a, I'm the man. <laughs> but uh, that did not happen. Um, so cut to going to bed, wake up. I'm being woke up by my dad at five in the morning, you know, and he's frantic. He's freaking out. He's like coming up the stairs and we're like waking up and we're like, what's going on? And he's making this, all this commotion comes over to us and is talking to me and my brother and essentially is telling us that he has been using drugs for, you know, X amount of time. He has been up to no good and has gotten caught. So he tells us that he's going to be going to jail for the next 12 to 15 years, probably. He's like, yep, got caught. The cops are outside or they're on their way right now. And yeah, so he's just like, so we're, we're crying. We're confused. We don't know what the fuck's going on. He tells us to go back to bed, which I mean, what? That's delusional. So we're sleeping up there, or like just like upstairs, not looking out the window. Cause he tells us not to look out there. It's you know it's bad to look out the window. Blah blah blah. Don't do that. And eventually he comes back up, takes us downstairs, and is talking to us and telling us even more crazy stuff. He's telling us that our uncle is now outside, and he's like threatening to fight the police because they want to come in and arrest my dad and take him to prison for. And he and he kept saying prison, not jail. He's like, yo, I'm going to the prison, like the, like the big one. That's why he kept like, which <laughs> he's insane. But and he's also like vacuuming the same spot over and over again. Like he was tweaking pretty hard at this point. So he's telling us all these crazy stories. We don't know what the fuck's going on. And eventually, we get a hold of my aunt, my aunt Karen, who is the guardian angel of my life for sure. She's my savior. She's awesome. But she comes and picks me and my brother up, and we don't know what the fuck's going on. It would have been nice to maybe have a day off from school, but no, we went, of course. And I'm, I'm in school, probably still, like, red-eyed and don't know what's going on, so emotional. And to add insult to injury, uh, I give my then-at-the-time, you know, puppy love GF or whatever you want to call it, girlfriend, my, my the box of chocolates and teddy bear and expect, you know, oh, thank you, blah, 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 and it's just like, stone cold silence and just like whoa okay so this is so it was like double bad basically that day it was it was i got lit up pretty pretty hard that day and uh 
yeah, that it, it, it sucked. And that's kind of where for the next four, four-ish years, things kind of are very rocky. I mean, it's been rough already, but it gets pr- pretty much continues to get worse because now we're not staying with my dad anymore. We can't see him even. They're like, no, you can't even go over there because he's doing drugs. And that's what my mom is saying, which I don't even know at the time when she was saying that, that she was was using drugs as well. Like, she was just much better at hiding it than my dad, pretty much. And uh, so, strictly living with my mom, she's slowly deteriorating, like, heavier and heavier drug use. And I'm kind of recognizing the signs at this point. Like I, like, I don't know if I mentioned this, but we, me and my brother grew up going to Narcotics Anonymous meetings with our parents. So we knew about drugs and alcohol. Like, we've heard a lot of stuff. And I was a fairly perceptive child. So I, you know, started to recognize the signs. I noticed, like, track marks in my mom's arm. And, you know, one time I walked in on her using. And I then, one time when she was at work, I found her needles and stuff. Like, so I knew things were, you know, going bad, pretty much. So after I finished sixth grade... I'm starting, you know, it's summertime. I'm starting to hang out with my aunts, my Aunt Karen's all the time, pretty much. Just spending, like, trying to stay the night over there, trying to have her cook dinner for us. Because I was having to cook dinner for me and my brother. I was having to do laundry for us. I was having to, you know, clean the house. Like, I was pretty much taking on all the responsibilities of my mom because she was not doing anything. She was maybe going to work if she wasn't sick. And, um... Other than that, she was sleeping or, you know, whatever all the time doing, you know, hiding, doing drugs in her room all the time. So I had to take over a lot of those duties, cooking dinner and all that stuff. So it was nice to go over to my aunts and be like, hey, can you do it? Can you help us out? You know, and she recognized that things were bad and ended up asking me like, hey, is everything all right at home? And at this point, I kind of tell her that I think my mom's using drugs. And I say I think, but I totally knew. But it's really hard to, how do you tell somebody that? How do you, like, oh, yeah, my mom's doing drugs, like, save me, basically. So, luckily, she recognized the signs and kind of ended up saving me and my brother. She gave us the structure and disciplined life that we kind of needed at that time. Because I was about to turn 13, probably. And that's a very rough time in anybody's life. It's like, you don't know what the fuck's going on. Nothing really makes sense. And then add the crazy drugs and the divorce and all this stuff it really uh was pretty much a nightmare but fortunately she was there for me she helped me and my brother because if she didn't do that it could have easily been we were in foster care or you know like out of a group home or something and that would have been horrible we wouldn't even been able to hang out with each other or be around each other probably so like I said, she's definitely my guardian angel. And it's funny, like up to this point, really the two biggest um, influences in my life, you know, my grandpa, he died very early on, unfortunately. He was a big influence too. But the two biggest influences in my life up to this point have been Mrs. Gale and my Aunt Karen, like two women, which is kind of crazy. Like obviously my I love my dad and my mom, but they weren't there for me during like a pretty large span of, of my, you know, growing up when it's very crucial in the development years. So I was very thankful to have those, those ladies in my life. They were, they're awesome. They definitely helped kind of shape me in who I am today. And it's, I have to say thank you to them so much because who knows where I would have been 
where I'd be today without them. Plain and simple. I don't know. I don't have the answer to that question. It probably would not be good. <laughs> I would not, that's for sure. So, yeah, I think, I think that'll be kind of a good place to end it for the first part. Uh, I, I know it's kind of a, a shitty spot to end it on. It's not like really a high note, but life isn't always about ending on a high note. You know, you don't always get to have that great closing joke that makes everybody laugh or, you know, that satisfactory ending, right? So I guess we'll leave it there for today. I hope it wasn't too dark and depressing because obviously I'm here today and that stuff without it, the shitty things that happened to me, I would not be who I am today, plain and simple. Um, so I don't look at it as like, oh, feel sorry for me or, oh, this was a bad time in my life. Like, yeah, sure, it sucked, but I'm looking at it as like, wow, I overcame that experience and it helped shape me into the person I am today. Uh, and it's why I'm stronger and more resilient, if that makes sense. So, and, and I'm happy today, you know what I mean? Like, sure, I don't have everything I want. I got a lot of things that I'm still trying to figure out, but who doesn't? So, anyways, long, I, hope you, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Hope maybe you kind of could compare some of your shitty experiences and like some of the things you overcome been like yeah you know what i'm struggling right now or i struggled in the past but man look what i've done or look what i can do so that's how i'm looking at it and it really helps to kind of go back and look at some of the things you've overcome and what you've really like how far if you will how far i've come so this has been good for me it's a good exercise and i hope you enjoyed it thanks much it for another episode of the millennial Manchild podcast um real quick i just have a few things here as usual that i want to hit on the outro uh first being that i just i wanted to make this clear like um i do love my parents and i do you know they they had a big impact on me when i'm talking about these mentors and other influences i was trying to talk outside of what they did i didn't want it kind of it kind of sounded like i was shitting on them a little bit and i don't want it to come off that way because that's not the case 
it's just, you know, they were caught up in their own thing at th different times. And I had a lot of outside influences as well as them that helped me get to where I am today. So, you know, take that for what it is. I don't want it to sound like, oh, my parents were terrible and they had no influence on me, good or bad. Like, you know, no, that's not the case. They definitely did. So mainly that's more for me than it is for you people. But just wanted to clarify that um, because... It sounded like I was like, oh, I don't look up to them. It's how I, I don't know. Maybe it, it kind of came off that way to me, but I do in, the, in, in their own ways. So just wanted to clarify that. Um, <clears throat> what else? Oh, yeah. Uh, monthly challenge has kind of fallen off the rails. Um, haven't been eating out, but the sugar thing. Oh, Lordy. I have not been doing a good job there. Um sweet tooth has been on an, an all-out assault if you will and it's been winning it's been winning the battle so i don't know what i'm gonna have to do i'm gonna have to fucking figure something out to get that back on track because uh, just i just feel like shit when i eat a bunch of sugar and that's the only way i know how to eat sugar is a lot of it at a time i can't i can't just be like oh i'll just have one and then i'll be good that was that's all i needed it's like oh i'll just have 85 of these and my stomach will hurt and I'll hate myself <laughs> so you know gonna gotta figure out something there and you got if anybody has tips if anybody has you know oh here's what I do or whatever like help help a brother out because really the sweet tooth is it's strong in this one and this young man child here it's uh it's brutal so, but that, besides that, working out has been going great. I've been staying on top of that. I've been running. I've been, you know, doing a lot of body lifts and body workouts and stuff like that here at my house. And I feel, I feel good. I'm, I am excited to see what I look like in six months if I keep doing this. That's the, the, the goal. I don't try and think of like, oh, how much weight have I lost this week or that week? And I'm, I'm trying to avoid looking at that as much. And what I'm trying to do is just like stay consistent because when it comes to working out, I think consistency is key. Sure, you want to push yourself. Sure, you want to try and, you know, do more eventually. But the main thing that is important, especially when you're really getting back into it and trying to, you know, make it a habit is consistency. And I've been good about that. So happy about that. Um, trying to change up the workouts, make things fresh, keep it fresh. But for now, it's going good. I'm excited by that. Uh, what else? I think that's really kind of it. Don't have a whole lot that I wanted to talk to here uh, in the outro besides that. So I'll hit you with uh, two quick things to check out and that I really enjoyed recently. And hopefully you'll like those too. And then we'll wrap it up here. Uh, the first one is I'm on both of these things. I'm about 30 years late to the party. But... I think a lot of millennials might be, since these were movies that were kind of made before our time. Obviously, they're classics, but... Um, so, the first movie that I watched recently, actually last night, was The Breakfast Club. Fucking great movie. It's about five kids who all get Saturday detention for uh, one thing or another, and they're all from different social circles. None of them know each other. And in a weird way, they kind of come together and become friends bonding over this experience and it's a really cool movie i thought it was well done it's funny it's a little cheesy you know it's a it's some of the some of the lines they use and whatnot but uh 
definitely check that out. Phenomenal movie, really good. Uh, and the other movie I watched is a little bit of a, it's a classic love story, right? It's uh, well, it's When Harry Met Sally. Uh, I'd never seen it. And it's one of those movies that you hear about. It's referenced in like Family Guy, like, you know, in all kinds of stuff. It's one of those classic guy meets girl movies. And it was really good. I thought it was really well done. I, I, I really enjoyed the characters in it and kind of the development of them and the story. Um, so check that out. I think it's worth watching. Very good movie as well. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, hit you with the music here. The music of this today's episode was Seven Years Old, Lucas Graham, by Lucas Graham, uh, Dust in the Wind by Kansas, and Swing Life Away by Rise Against. So until next week, I hope you all have a good time. Life treats you well. And that's it. So, Manchild, signing off. Peace. Am I loud and clear, or am I breaking up? Am I still your charm, or am I just bad luck? Are we getting closer, are we just getting more lost? Show you mine if you show me yours first. Let's compare scars. I'll tell you whose is worse. Let's unwrite these pages and replace them with our own words. We live on front porches and swing life away. We get by just fine, yeah, on minimum wage. If love is a labor, I'll slave till the I've been here so long, think that it's time to move. The winter's so cold, summer's over too soon. Let's pack our bags and settle down where palm trees grow. I've got some friends, some that I hardly know. But we've had some times I wouldn't trade for the world. We chase these days down with talks of the places that we will go. We live on front porches and swing life away.